Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Miles, and welcome back to AM Production Podcast. All right, we have an exciting episode for you today. We're going to be talking about the Saturday playoff games and then giving a preview for the Sunday playoff games after that. If you stick around at the end, we'll be talking a little bit about Derek Carr. But first, I'm going to get into our first topic 49ers versus Seahawks. All right, so on Saturday at 4 30, the 49ers played the Seahawks at San Francisco. And at halftime, this game looked pretty close. Seattle was neck and neck with San Francisco. And Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker, and DK Metcalf were on fire in the first half. Kenneth Walker had a touchdown run. DK Metcalf had a long touchdown cast down the sideline. And overall, the Seahawks were looking pretty good. They were keeping up with the 49ers offense. And it was pretty much still the case until right about the middle of the third quarter where the, the Seahawks offense was in the red zone. But Geno Smith had an untimely fumble. And at this point, they were already down 23 to 17. And from that point, the 49ers never really looked back. Uh, Brock Purdy was responsible for four touchdowns that day. He really lit it up. Honestly, it's really, really interesting to see if this is kind of a one-hit wonder story or if Purdy can really be the guy going down the line. And we'll see how that plays out throughout the rest of the, about the, rest of the playoffs. But we could really be getting a Nick Foles story here if he's able to carry this team to a playoff berth and a playoff win. Uh, but overall in this game, it really just shows the 49ers' physicality and how that wears on a team throughout the game. The 49ers, you know, they, they, they just play a physical brand of football. You know, you have guys like Debo Smith, or Debo Samuel, excuse me. You guys have, you have guys like George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Fred Warner, you know, Nick Bosa. All these guys, they play hard and... I think it wears on teams. It's going to be hard to play with them for four quarters. They seriously just give it all. And I think that's just how Kyle Shanahan likes his teams. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you said. Uh, and just to point out about the 49ers specifically, uh, when the 49ers are clicking, they don't have a flaw. Like if Brock Purdy is playing how he's playing, and he's playing pretty damn well during four touchdowns against a pretty formidable Seahawks defense, they don't have a flaw because they finally have that guy at quarterback, assuming Brock Purdy can play like how he's playing right now. And we know how their receiving core is. We know how their tight end play is. We know how their running where their running game is. And we know how their defense is, specifically that loaded front seven led by Nick Bosa, a potential defensive player of the year candidate this year. And, you know, need I say more? They're just a very loaded team. Uh, and this transitions us into our next game that happened on Saturday. An absolute thriller, to say the least. The Jacksonville Jaguars played the Los Angeles Chargers in a game in which the Chargers were up 27-0 very late in the second quarter. Now, this was going pretty much well for the Chargers as they had four picks on Trevor Lawrence, and he looked rattled. You could see him shake his head after every single pick and look up and look very, discomfort, uh, very, very uncomfortable. Uh, each pick, like... Besides the two Asante Samuel picks, every pick was different. So, you know, it was pick defensive line tips, picks in uh, pick and tight coverage, pick on a misread. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence just seemed to not be clicking that game. And, you know, to the Chargers uh, credit, they were clicking very much. And they led up to 27 points off mm -hmm. uh, taking advantage of those situations. Austin Eckler was doing really good in the red zone. Uh, and even when Justin Herbert uh, got the ball on the 30, he still led them to a good drive that got points on the board. Uh, but that just wasn't the case after the final minute of the second quarter. 
Trevor Lawrence had a pretty damn good touchdown in which he threw the ball. I believe it was uh, Evan Ingram who got the first touchdown, and he threw it in pretty loaded coverage. You know, Evan Ingram himself had a pretty damn good game this season, or had a pretty damn good game this uh, game. Uh, and, you know, that that was just that from there. So, you know, they were down 27-7, to 7, I believe, in the – uh, going into the half, and you know Trevor Lawrence lit it up from there. He threw three more touchdowns, ending up with four touchdowns and four interceptions. He's the only player to do that since Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, and the unique thing about this is he got all of his touch, or he got all of his interceptions out early. And you know he played like crap, and he just realized I gotta adjust, and he adjusted. Justin Peterson, he adjusted, and boy was this Jaguars team ready to win this game. You could tell how bad they wanted it because in the final half of the fourth quarter. The like the last one eighth of the game, they went for a fourth and one and a two point conversion, and they converted both against a defensive coach and uh, Staley. And you know Staley, you're supposed to scheme up things for these you know short short uh, short stop situations, uh, but you know that didn't happen. Uh, they had uh, Jaguars had a good uh, run on the fourth and one, and you know we know Trevor Lawrence he reached over on the goal line for a QB sneak on the. Uh, two-point conversion you know after that two-point conversion the lead was cut down to two and jaguars made a drive in which they got another three on that so you know jaguars they were just prepared to win this game and you know i think it was a bit of mismanagement on the chargers uh chargers side and you know just wasn't the most efficient offense in the second half and trevor lawrence was doing a lot better so you know the chargers defense couldn't take advantage of his misplay as he was playing the ball really well in the second half i believe he was 18 for 23 with three touchdowns in the second half so just to sh- like show how good of a turnaround he had. Uh, and yeah, this was a historic 27-0 comeback. Jaguars just really wanted that in the second half. And I think when you have an experienced coach like Doug Peterson, uh, you're going you're gonna to win these types of games, even when, down, even when down big. You're not really counted out. If this were a team with a more unexperienced head coach who hasn't been in these situations and maybe – is you know a much more conservative head coach they don't like to go for it on fourth down you know maybe this game has a different result and the the chargers hold hold the jaguars uh but you know that's just not what happened and the jaguars lit them up especially in that second half in the final minute of the first just crazy yeah i'm curious to see how this is going to go down and affect either justin herbert's legacy or also how this reflects uh, as you said, Brandon Staley, he had the chance to stop the Jaguars, one, uh, in the red zone a few times, secondly, on that two-point conversion try, and I- I'm not really sure how this is going to reflect his coaching as he is a defensive head coach. I-, I think it should be the end of his job, personally. I think you're going to need an offensive coach that can maximize Justin Herbert and his abilities, but to Justin Herbert, I'm not really sure how the media is going to view this. I, I kind of just felt like you know, without Mike Williams, not to make excuses for him, but like, you know, and without Mike Williams in those big situations, uh, I really feel like there was, you know, not all people getting open for him, but I don't think that he's without blame in this situation. But overall, I, I think it's mostly you just have to credit the Jaguars defense for stepping up. Uh, I think they were inspired to play after seeing their offense. And I think they just made some plays. Nothing the Chargers could do about it on offense. And it was really just up to their defense to make a stop and they did. They didn't make a stop. That's that's as simple as as it is. So, um, yeah, not much more to say about that. Alex, you covered it well, but <clears throat> that'll move us right into our Sunday playoff games. 
I'm going to start first with our 1 p.m. game. It is the Dolphins at the Bills. So we don't really have much to say about this game, mostly just because we feel that it should be a pretty clean sweep for the Bills. It's Skylar Thompson starting. The Bills should dominate. I trust the Bills' run game has gotten a lot better in these past few weeks to you know, control the clock well, which would be key in a game like this. I think that you just want to keep the Dolphins off the field for as much as possible. As long as a team is able to have Jalen Waddle, Mike Kosicki, Tyree Kill, and their other offensive weapons, you just want to keep them off the field. So I think if the Bills can establish a good run game, that'd be key. And also, I, I just imagine that the Bills' defense will do enough against Skylar Thompson. I think they'll probably shut him down. He's a third-string quarterback. He's a rookie. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do much in this game. Yeah, not much more to say about that one. Yeah, if there's a lock this week, uh, it's it's Bills Dolphins. Uh, don't expect this game to be close. As you said, Skylar Thompson, uh, the Dolphins' third-string quarterback. They have Teddy Bridgewater and Tua injured. Uh, he hasn't been – I mean, I, th- I believe he won a game towards the end of the season, but it, it, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill production and uh, Jalen Waddle's production—they're just—they're just not the same when two is not throwing the ball. Uh, and you know this Dolphins team earlier when they were fully healthy, yeah, it was it was a pretty good thing. But you know, just with these injuries, and you know, you're facing a very well-rounded team in the Bills with an extremely strong defense and an extremely strong offense. Uh, there's just not a lot of hope for the Dolphins in this game, and it's hard to see them. Uh, pulling off the win here and you know that leads us to our 4 p.m game which is vikings giants now this story is different this is a lot more of a a tough one to call and you know on the Vikings side of the ball they have justin they have justin jefferson uh tj hawkinson who's been very reliable for them this year and they have kirk who's been a good game manager at times uh and on the Giants' side of the ball, they have a much-improved Daniel Jones under head coach Brian Dable, uh, and they have a 1,300-yard rusher at Saquon Barkley. Listen, both these teams have decent defenses, uh, specifically uh, with the Giants' uh, defensive line and the Vikings' defensive line. You know, the, these two teams are pretty good, but with – this should be a more offensive side, a uh, more offensive game. But one thing I'm really interested about this game is uh, two rookie head coaches in Brian Dable and Kevin O'Connell. They've both kind of transformed these teams and both turned around their season for the better when comparing to last season, which most of them didn't make the playoffs. And, you know, both these teams have been better without them. I think whichever coach uh, pulls out a better game plan is the coach that will end up with the win here. And, you know, uh, I'm leaning towards the Giants on this one, and I think they have a just a much improved team and a very solid defense. And I think if they can possibly shut down Justin Jefferson, which you know they didn't do last time, but I think if they can possibly slow him down uh, and force Kirk to make his second reads, I think it's high sailing from there. I'll say it now, and I'll say it again: trust in Dable. Trust in Dable. This is going to be a masterful game plan. I already see it now. It's going to be a tough game. We know the Vikings aren't a joke. I think that they're still a strong team. You know, they've had some flukes. They've also had some great games. So who knows what we're going to see from them today. But as a Giants fan, you have to focus on, you know, what you can control. And I believe that the Giants are going to come out here and game plan for this well. Now, on the Vikings side, we'll see how playoff Kirk performs. 
he's had a very good season, but you know, when the lights are brightest, we always know what happens to him. So we don't really know what we're going to get from him today, but we'll see. Um, yeah, this should be an interesting game just because the Giants and the Vikings have already played each other this year. The Vikings were able to win that game, but it was on a last second field goal. Um, and it was, I believe, a, almost a 60 yarder by Greg Joseph. So we'll see how we'll see how it goes. I really feel like it's anybody's game. And I actually feel better about the Giants playing them this time because once you lose to a team, you're already more familiar. We're already familiar with them and you're also more motivated to go after it again. I like what the Giants have like, you know, for them in this game. And I think this would be a good win for them. That'll move us into our next game, and that'll be day 815 game today, Ravens versus Bengals. This game, no matter what happens, is gonna be physical, chippy, and it's gonna be it's gonna be intense. These two teams hate, hate, hate each other. Divisional rivals with everything to play for. Now, problem is this is not gonna be this is not gonna be a pretty game for the Ravens, most likely. They still have Tyler Huntley starting at quarterback. Lamar did not practice this week. Um, it's it's very concerning if you're a Ravens fan. I don't foresee Lamar playing in this game. I think that Tyler Huntley's just going to have to pretty much just not turn the ball over and hope that you know they can keep this game close. But I don't foresee a way that the Ravens win this game unless the Bengals have a fluke. Um, I, I think the first half will be close, but I think by the third quarter, the, play, the Bengals will probably blow this game open and you can expect at least a two-possession lead by the fourth quarter. Yeah, we saw this matchup uh, a few weeks ago, and the Bengals did pretty dang good in that matchup. Uh, Joe Burrow in general, he just has a tendency to do really good against the Ravens. Uh, you know, last year and this year, he's just been really good against them. Uh, and he got revenge for his loss earlier in the season. Uh, and, you know, they're they're winning games right now. Yeah, they're they're doing they're doing great right now. Um, I, I honestly just trust also in their um, I trust in their running game as well. Last year we saw Joe Mixon take over in the playoffs. Um, I also I also think that their defense is highly underrated. They really have tons of tons of really good players, but they're really just not big name players. You know, I think people will clown them for still have like Eli Apple starting, but um, they still have they still have good players. Uh, I like their secondary besides that, and they have a pretty decent pass rush. So uh, I think the Bengals have a sneaky, sneaky good defense, and that should be enough to hold Tyler Huntley in the in the Ravens is my assumption. Yeah, this this the Bengals would kind of have to give it away, uh, and they would kind of have to throw the game away, but just a lot, a lot of mistakes in order for the Ravens to have a chance in this one. They're coming pretty underprepared, and the Bengals are one of the hottest teams in the NFL, maybe the hottest team in the AFC. And, yeah, I don't expect a lot of coming from the Ravens this game. You know, no slack if they lose it. it it's just kind of a mismatch at this point. And that brings us to, you know, a game which is a lot less of a mismatch in uh, Cowboy Buccaneers, uh, Cowboys Buccaneers. And, you know, the Buccaneers this season – they they're a shell of themselves. They're they're not quite what they were last season. You know, at least regular season per, or regular season performance wise. And you know, obviously the last two years they're coming off of two. Uh, I believe it was twelve or thirteen win seasons. So two. Uh, well, I'll say twelve. Two twelve win seasons. And you know they they won playoff games in both of them. Uh, and when they won the Super Bowl, but 
Tom Brady just hasn't been that hot for the Bucks. And, you know, the Cowboys are looking pretty hot as late. They maybe have one of the best front sevens in the NFL with the Defensive Player of the Year uh, uh, candidate and uh, Micah Parsons. And But the thing is, this is a very experienced Buccaneers offense. This is a Super Bowl-winning Buccaneers offense. And we've seen a, a, we've seen them, you know, bring back a lot of players. You know, this is a – this is – this is an experienced matchup, but I think if the Cowboys finally were to end their playoff disappointments, I think it's this game. Buccaneers have been hot towards the end of the season, but so have the Cowboys, and they're just overall the stronger team here. As long as the Cowboys don't give this away, I think they got it. The Mike Evans-Trayvon Diggs matchup is something to certainly look out for, and uh, from a Dak Prescott perspective, this is absolutely a statement game because he doesn't have the best playoff reputation. And as of right now, he's been known for throwing a lot of interceptions. So if there's a time to reverse that, it's certainly in crunch time in the playoffs when it all matters. So he can do this against a pretty strong uh, Buccaneers defense. I think this can certainly impact the narrative around his name. And, you know, uh, the Cowboys would look hot if he plays well. And the Cowboys will have a next chance with uh, whomever their opponent may be uh, going forward. Yeah, I also think it's interesting for the Cowboys in this case because they actually lost their last game of the season. They played their starters. They lost to the Commanders. It was pretty bad. It was against Sam Howell, a rookie quarterback. Uh, they lost pretty bad, and they eventually pulled their starters at the end of the game. But this could either mean that the Cowboys are going to come out slow or they come out really hot. We don't really know what we're going to see from them. But I would assume that they're going to come out hot because they're actually motivated to play good in this game. Um, I, I think that teams that probably lose their last game, they're probably even more motivated to show what they got in the playoffs. Um, we'll see, though. We'll see, Like we said, we'll see what version of Dak we get today. I think that it relies a lot on Mike McCarthy's game plan, but I, I think that Dak can have a good game, but he'll have, to, he'll have to do well against a good Buccaneers pass rush, but We'll have to see if the Buccaneers really blitz. They've been very, very hesitant to blitz at times this season. Um, and you really, I think they play a bit more conservative because their offense, in fact, hasn't been the best. But if Tom Brady's throwing darts and their offensive line holds up, I think the Buccaneers can make the Cowboys' offensive line uh, pretty, pretty frantic with their amount of blitz and pressures. And we'll see how we'll see how we'll see how Dak plays with that. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So. That's going to move us past our playoff topics into our last of the day, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the Derek Carr situation. It's an interesting, interesting, uh, you know, topic we have here. So, interestingly, so uh, Derek Carr, who's carried uh, the, this organization, this Raiders organization, for these past three years through turmoil, and he's been able to really feel like a hero for them. He's been able to get them through the John Gruden days or even days before that. He's been able to, you know, he's been able to carry this team. But he was benched for the last two games of the season in favor of Jared Stidham. Now, don't get me wrong. Jared Stidham played pretty well against the 49ers, but it's not really about how Jared Stidham played. It's really more that they benched Derek Carr. And they didn't bench Derek Carr for, you know, they didn't give reasons in terms of, oh, we want him to be healthy or, you know, oh, he said so. But they just they just benched him, and then Derek Carr himself he stepped away from the team, and he didn't step away in terms of you know he didn't dress for the game, he was on the sideline. He stepped away and watched the final games from the couch at home. He was not on the sideline; he was nowhere to be seen. And eventually, after that, Carr was you know 
car address address list, and he basically, you know, he basically said that his time his time playing is not over at all, but it's unlikely that he'll come back for the Raiders. And I think it's kind of stupid on the Raiders on the Raiders organization here to just push their, you know, push the, basically the the one that's carrying their franchise away. Um, obviously, I know that it was his decision to step away, but I don't know why you bench him here unless it's for health reasons. And I don't know why you would. I don't know why you wouldn't say that. I, I just think this shows the dysfunction of the Raiders, really. Yeah, it kind of shows scapegoating. Uh, Josh McDaniels, the rookie or first-year head coach uh, for the Raiders this season, uh, he kind of had scuffles with Derek Carr, and I believe he benched him towards the end of the season to in in hopes of keeping his job and blaming Derek Carr uh, and kind of using him as a scapegoat for the team's lack of success. Uh, but – Overall, Derek Carr's likely gone in this situation. Devontae Adams, Derek Carr's best friend since uh, Fresno State uh, days of college, you know, he's vo- he's voiced his concern and how he thinks, you know, the benching of Derek Carr was BS, uh, and Derek Carr isn't dressing up. So it seems like either the Raiders are going to have to completely revamp their coaching staff, um, or the Raiders are going to end up letting go of Derek Carr and letting Derek Carr, uh, you know, make a uh, – play for a new team next year and there's a lot of candidates who are willing to take a player like Derek Carr you know obviously this season wasn't the best for him compared to you know what we've seen in the past but he's still a pretty good quarterback and very viable at times so I can certainly see a team uh like the Colts or the Jets who maybe who maybe don't even uh who, who truly don't have a quarterback one in this situation and Derek Carr is proven himself to be a quarterback one you know although he's not a superstar he can be a star at times and he can be a legit passer of the ball i think if both of those teams don't like what they see in the draft this year they could potentially go for him uh and you know there's some sleeper picks you could say seahawks if they're unhappy with gino they could potentially go for him uh and patriots if they're unhappy with their quarterback play from their two young quarterbacks they could potentially go for him but likely i see him in a jets uniform or a colts uniform uh and this also begs the question, what happens to Devontae Adams? He's admitted that Derek Carr was the reason he wanted to go to Las Vegas. And if Derek Carr is gone, I can't see Devontae in Las Vegas. I think Devontae forces himself out of there too. So I think this can be a complete revamping of the Raiders organization. Uh, and Raiders, they, they have their picks this year. Uh, but man... I wonder what that team is going to look like next year because they could be the team that has the two faces of their offense, uh, two of their three faces of the offense stripped away from them due to uh, issues with the coach. Yeah, I won't be saying that they need to fire Josh McDaniels right away. I'm not going to jump to that conclusion, but with one decision of benching Derek Carr without giving a through-and-through reason, I think he lost his two best players. I think he lost... Devontae Adams and Derek Carr at the same time by doing that. And as a head coach, you have to see that. You have to recognize that relationship. And I wouldn't be surprised, as you said, if Devontae Adams wants to be out of Las Vegas next season. And that also brings us to the question, what are the Raiders looking at now? Because they still have the Chiefs, Chargers in their division. You can't have you can't have the fourth best quarterback in your division. And that would be assuming that, you know, Jared Stidham is their starting quarterback and I'd put Russell Wilson above that for sure. So um, I, I don't, I don't really think they can compete. And in, ter- in terms of where they, where their ceiling is now, it term, it's, it really seems like 
they went from, you know, a team that we thought would make a deep playoff run this year into a rebuild in one season. And I think Josh McDaniels is mostly to blame for that. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure just what, what was going on in, in Las Vegas this year. A lot of the time they had a slow start and overall, I, I just feel like their offense, I know they had some injuries, but I, I just feel like their offense never really clicked multiple times. I think that Derek Carr, as you said, was scapegoated throughout most of the season, but this is a step too far. Yeah. Um, I think that another prime destination that people aren't really talking about for Carr could be the New York football giants. We could see, um, we could see him there. I, I don't know if Dayball is going to favor Daniel Jones because of his mobility, but we'll see just because his contract is up in the air. There's a lot of different situations. And I, I assume a lot of teams are going to look at Derek Carr because really, if you look back at it, this is basically a similar situation to the Kirk Cousins signing a few years ago. I'd say it's kind of like a plug and play starting franchise quarterback. You don't often see this in uh, in free agency. You might see guys get traded, but in free agency, if Derek Carr does get released, you don't always see you know a player of his caliber just sitting around. So a lot of teams will make a bid, and we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, this could be a very interesting conclusion to the Derek Carr uh, era and the Raiders. And, you know, just with the Raiders scandals in general, this has just seemed to be like a pretty dysfunctional team. And what a way to go out if this is the way to go out. And this could absolutely do it. You know, uh, right now it's seeming like, you know, if they want to keep Carr and they want to keep Devontae, they'd have to fire McDaniels. But honestly, you know, if, if they keep McDaniels, they're probably gone. And there's a scenario where they get rid of both of them and just absolutely revamp the organization, look at their division, look at all the competitors, and just rebuild and try to instead of reloading. And the Raiders have been kind of a reload-heavy team in the Derek Carr era, where they don't like to, they don't like to, you know, try to. I've never seen them attempt to blow up the team, but if there's a time to blow up the team, you know, the Raiders are thinking about it now. Uh, and overall, just a very weird situation and one of the first real football controversies we've seen in a minute. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I think that'll conclude us of our episode today. I hope everybody has a great wild card weekend and you get to tune in to some of these games. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you everybody. Yep. We'll see you for a divisional weekend.